As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Totally Football League show early bird special. We're halfway through the championship playoff semis where it's advantage Forest, but there's nothing between Luton and Huddersfield. Meanwhile, in League Two, Harry McCurdy's got the X factor and Northampton out of it after the first leg, Cobblers. This is the Totally Football League show in association with Paddy Power. Uh, yeah, we're a little bit earlier than usual listener today. That's because the second leg of the Huddersfield-Luton game takes place tonight. As you listen to this, hopefully, or tomorrow night, as we record on Sunday. Joining me, Matt Davis-Adams, are semi-serious Adrian Clark. Hello. And the Sky Sports principal purveyor of playoffs, Michelle Owen. What a weekend you've had, Michelle. That is some brilliant alliterations. Alliteration. <laughs> See, I'm that, I've done so many games now, I just can't speak. Uh, yeah, eight playoffs, and I've done six of them. So it's been, it's been a good week or so. It's been good fun. Well, obviously, therefore, we're going to start with one of the two that you didn't do. Um, at Bramall Lane, it finished <laughs> Sheffield United 1, Nottingham Forest 2. Only the second time the Blades have lost at home since October. But given the way the game panned out, they might not be too damn beat about that. Uh, Richard Sutcliffe, the Athletic's sharpest blade, writes, to paraphrase the late, great Brian Clough, I wouldn't say this was Sheffield United's worst defensive display on home soil under Paul Heckingbottom, but it was in the top one. Clarkey. I feel like I should be really pleased and thrilled and over the moon. And yet there's a, a bit of ruefulness. And if there's one thing I hate doing, it's, it's ruining. Yeah, no, I understand that completely because not, Nottingham Forest were superior by, by some distance and probably could have won this 4-1 or 4-0 really because it was a quite a, a soft concession, wasn't it, towards the end. Fodderingham kept Sheffield United in the game, didn't he, in that first half where just every time Forrest went forward, they scythed through them. They just had too much pace. And and I think I'd seen them the week before Sheffield United against Fulham where obviously they were on top. But in little flashes of that game, Fulham got in down the sides of the centre-halves really easily. And it, it did plant a seed in my head that, wow, if if you know, Fulham aren't really trying and they're getting down the sides of the centre-backs. I think Brennan Johnson and co might might have a little bit of joy and, and they did, didn't they? I mean, Surridge it was for the first goal that made that good run down the sides. And uh, yeah, in particular down, down Forest Wright, which has been just awesome all season. They really made hay, didn't they? And, and I think 
there will be a slight regret that that they didn't get a healthier advantage. But it was it was a good performance, very good. So Jack Colback gets the opening goal. I, I feel like Michelle, he's quite emblematic of the improvement Forrest have made under Steve Cooper because he was he was out of the team and going nowhere when Cooper took over. He, he looked like a man who desperately wanted to be somewhere else, and and all of a sudden he's a cornerstone of the team, albeit not playing in the position in which he's known for. Yeah, you'd say a square peg in a round hole, but. For Forest fans, I don't think it's felt like that at all. I listened to this game. I was driving down to Sky yesterday and it seems as you just described it, Forest absolutely dominated. And then I walked into the building, it was 2-0 and I walked in and it was 2-1. It just changes the whole complexion of the tie, doesn't it? But there's some positive stats if you're a Forest fan. I've been having a little look. And Sheffield United would be only the second side in the history of second-tier playoffs to overturn a first-leg deficit away from home. So... That's positive for Forrest, but I just hope they don't, for their sake, ruin their missed chances. It sounded like they absolutely dominated from what I was hearing. And, yeah, like you said, it's it's a a side that Steve Cooper has got working together. Players may be playing where they don't want to play, but it seems a lot different than when I was there in late September, or it must have been mid-September when you lost to Cardiff. It just didn't seem like a happy camp and... He's always got such positivity, Steve Cooper. He's like, yeah, we just want to go again. And whether he actually does want to go again straight away, I don't know. But he talks a good game and he he makes everyone feel like they're completely up for it. They're completely ready. And I'd still probably fancy Forrest, but it's so hard to say, isn't it? Brennan Johnson's goal, Clarky, it was a nice finish, but I think the best bit was the lovely moment of the shot of his dad, David. He'd scored there for Forrest in the playoffs in 03, celebrating. That's, that was just absolutely magnificent heartwarming. It was goal, doesn't it? Yeah, it's like, as, as a parent, you're sometimes maybe a bit self-conscious. You don't want to be seen, you don't want to embarrass anyone. You know, you want to, a lot of people, probably myself included, might think oh, I'll be a bit restrained, but that he just, he was just gone, wasn't he? It was brilliant. I loved it. He was just caught up in the moment and proud of his son. I mean, he must must be so proud of what he's done. Because he's still a very young boy, Brennan Johnson. And and he's a top player. Real, real quality. And and that was a good finish, wasn't it? Joe Lolle obviously gets gets all the credit for that, the way he, that he robbed John Egan. But that's Forrest, isn't it? It's get in the faces. It's you have it, you have it, bang. We're going to win it. And then as soon as they win the ball, they're just on you. It's 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 excellent from a tactical point of view. They're just menaces, Nottingham Forest, from turnovers, transitions. They are they're dynamite, and uh, yeah, I I don't know how Forest can stop them because pay when you've got that pace advantage because the, the centre halves and the, and the wing backs won't aren't that quick for Sheffield United. When you've got that speed advantage, it's pretty hard to negate. Um, I think Sheffield United have got experience. They've got good technical players. And and up front, they've got you know Gibbs White who can turn a game with a piece of magic. But Forest have more ways to hurt them, in my opinion, uh, than Sheffield United do. Just wanted to pick up on Brennan Johnson there as well. Six goals and four assists in his last eleven. It's incredible. And of course, you were touching on his father there. The only Forest player to ever score in both legs of a playoff semi final for the club is him. And history could repeat itself with his son, which is almost poetic. Isn't it for Forest's sake, not Sheffield United? Uh, I'm going to the game. I'm, I'm doing commentary. Are you? Um, yeah, so huge, I'm really, really excited. Yeah, lucky. Yeah, very. Lu- I feel very lucky to get that game, and and it will be some atmosphere. It's so loud, isn't it? It's so loud. And um, Pratt and I actually swapped over on these. I'm sure he won't mind me saying because he was keen, obviously, as an ex-Forest player to to do them. And yeah, he was saying how much he's looking forward to it. But I just think it's 
for me, that contrast from late September, bottom of the table to where they are now, just can't emphasise enough. I feel like we're talking a lot about Forest here and not Sheffield United. But, you know, for me, in the four teams, most people would have them as favourites to go up at the moment. But it's just such a change since Steve Cooper came in. And just that Brennan Johnson point, I did that Cardiff game with his dad and his dad was saying he wants to be let go, he wants to be free. And it was a very rigid system before where he wasn't allowed, well, for want of a better word, maybe he didn't quite have as much freedom. And now Brennan Johnson has that creative licence almost just to be a bit more free and express himself and it's paying dividends on the pitch. Uh, Adrian, you, you mentioned about Sheffield United and their, their vulnerability in terms of getting in behind the defence. Is it too late at this stage of the season to, to change your game plan in that regard defensively? Or, or does a good manager react and say, actually, we've been weak in this area in the last two games, we need to change something? Yeah, this is a good question. I, th- I think I, I would maybe set the line a little bit deeper against Nottingham Forest and and just to not so that you don't leave as much space in between the the wide centre backs and the and the wing backs, but they won't change the system, will they? They're very used to it. I don't think there's there's a lot of wriggle room really because of a lack of players availability. So no, I think the shape will be the same, but surely they will learn some lessons and and they'll look to slow down Nottingham Forest, won't they? I think that that that's the key. Sometimes what you've got to do though, I mean. <laughs> is take that chance. I'm, I'm sort of arguing against what I just said there by setting a deeper line. Sometimes it's better to to stop the service at source, e.g. press really hard and high and, and be aggressive so that the quality that goes into Brennan Johnson or into the forward players is is weakened. So be, it's, a, it's a difficult choice, I think, for Heckenbottom here. He'll want more from Norwood. Absolutely more. I don't think he had a good game. Zinkanagel won that duel, didn't he? Absolutely hands down. Um, making runs off him, pressing, hounding him. Couldn't get his foot on the ball. So Forrest will try and do that again. Can can Norwood create a bit of space for himself and 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 dictate the game? So I think I think for Sheffield United to have any chance of going through, he needs to be on it uh, on Tuesday night. We made so much, didn't we, Michelle, of their excellent home record. One win in their last seven away. That was uh, in the game against QPR on the penultimate day of the season. And that's the only time in that run they've scored more than one goal. I guess it's kind of irrelevant in the playoffs, but it's not a particularly positive statistic to go into this game with. No, I mean, yeah, how much do you look at stats in the playoffs? I still think they're relative because you've still got to go away and overturn that deficit, like we said earlier. Sheffield United have never won an away game in the playoffs, which is another nasty stat for them. But it's like cup football, isn't it, really? It's just unfortunate. Obviously, the side that's away first always has the advantage, in my opinion. But it's not that cut and dry. Paul Heckenbottom has been promoted in three of his four playoff campaigns, uh, twice as a player and once as a manager. So, yeah, I don't think anyone's writing Sheffield United off. Tension. So much tension. Meanwhile, on Friday night, it ended all square between the towns of Luton and Huddersfield at Kenilworth Road. Daniel Sinani put Huddersfield ahead before Sonny Bradley equalised. Um, Michelle, I'm loath to start the conversation talking about refereeing decisions, but seeing as there was a controversial one after 10 seconds, we kind of have to, don't we? Yeah, we made it nine seconds, just to be pedantic. But <laughs> I said to the boys, I said to Curtis and Joby, do you think maybe... Was it so early in the game that it was a very big decision to make? And they said, of course, that shouldn't affect anything. It's a really it's a really tough one because it's a big occasion, the adrenaline's going. But 
that was a red card, potentially at worst, but it had to be a penalty. And yeah, Toffolo is he's clean for the header, isn't he? And James Bree coming in behind him, he's got nowhere to go, he's not a goal side, and he shoves him. And obviously we have the luxury of replays and things, and there will be VAR in the Championship playoff final, and thank goodness there is, because there was, I would say, three decisions in that game you'd probably want to look at, but that was the biggest one. And I don't want to be too harsh on referees, but oh, these are season-defining moments. Mm. And It was definitely too early. It, I think if that happens... Yeah. 10 minutes into the but, game. But you can't, I know, I know, I know you can say like, yeah, nine seconds, but whether it's nine seconds, nine minutes, 19 oh, no, minutes, no, it it's, still, it's still the same challenge, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. But, exactly. but it's, yeah, we're all human. And I think he, yeah, he held back. I think he thought it was easier not to make a decision, but he was wrong to do so. I know that the boys on that work with you at Sky weren't convinced that the Cameron Jerome one was a penalty, but I, I did think that that was too. I think, I think so. So in that respect, I, I think the two big calls evened out. Yeah. So it didn't, it didn't affect the game in my opinion. Uh, well, this is what Nathan Jones said about that Cameron Jerome one. It's nailed on. It's clear because they had half an appeal in the first seconds of the game. He hasn't given it. They don't have that. He gives it. And it's a red card. Um, so he is That's a great Welsh accent, by the way. Pretty person. I'm, you know, I'm half Welsh, so it should should come naturally um, wow. to me. Uh, the away side again, Michelle. Probably the better side here overall, and a little bit disappointed not to be going back to Yorkshire with a win. Not in the first felt like half. They had the better of the chances. Yeah, I think I think Luton were better in the first half, and then Huddersfield came into their own in the second, which doesn't surprise me because Corbran would have done looked at it tactically and gone, right, we'll tweak this, we'll tweak that. Little things that we don't see, because that's what he does. He plays the opposition, not necessarily to Huddersfield's strengths. He's done it all season. I think Huddersfield would be far the happier of the two with the scoreline, uh, because Luton's away form against the top 10 sides or so is pretty terrible. I think they've only beaten one of them. So Huddersfield would be by far the happier. They were much better in the second half. It was a thrilling first half and then it went a bit cagey in the second half but uh, look I wouldn't write off Luton by any means but going to the John Smith Stadium that's a great crowd when they get going they got the result there it was a month ago they beat them on home soil in the league so at the moment everything's for me pointing towards Huddersfield progressing but I'd be very happy for Nathan Jones and Luton to to prove me wrong of course the other thing working against them, Clark, is their injury list, isn't it, Luton? Adebayo might be able to make it back for the second leg, but Berry, Rudikam, Panzu and, and Onya Dinma all out. It's um, it's the wrong time of year for this to be happening. Yeah, it's bad timing, isn't it? It's, it's by no means their strongest their strongest 11, is it? And and the goalkeeper's new and, and fair play to the goalkeeper, Matt Ingram, because he's, he's put off his um, honeymoon, hasn't he, to, to be part Maldives. of Maldives. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for his sake, he needs to go up, doesn't he? <laughs> he does. Yeah, I don't. I think he was slightly at fault for the first goal. He, he probably, yeah, he was a little bit slow to get down. It was the only place that they could put the shot, and and he was, yeah, he should have had that that part of the goal covered. But I thought Luton were excellent in the first half, like easily the better side. They took the ball by the horns. They really asserted themselves, and I think that they they needed that second goal when they were on top. It was a great ball in, wasn't it, from the goal, Cal uh, Naismith. From the wide free kick, fantastic, and yeah, in the second half it just got all tactical, didn't it? Uh, I, th- I think Corbran switched wingers, didn't it? They they flipped sides. That that was that paid off. He had to make a substitute with Pippa coming on. He he was he got a bit more joy. 
So yeah, little little things worked out, and I think Nathan. Nathan then tweaked his sister, went to a back four and pushed Naismith up and tried to overload the midfield. It was all two tacticians going at it for 45 minutes, but not that many clear-cut chances. And I think that's, that's just the way that game panned out. I, I, I can imagine the second leg being uh, another sort of tactical battle as well, to be honest, because these two love it. They do. It might be a long night as well, mightn't it, Michelle? I mean, there's so little between these teams. We've referenced that game at the John Smith Stadium between them uh, last month a couple of times, but surely that doesn't have that much of an impact on, on how Monday goes. Yeah, I just think Luton with the injuries, though, more depleted, unfortunately, for them. And whether they risk Elijah Adebayo, I mean, do you push him? And then do you, do you maybe unfortunately do something bad to him and he can't make the final if you make the final how on earth do you play it is Nathan Jones it's easy to forget the injury problems they've had but uh, yeah I could definitely see I love extra time and pens like <laughs> let's have it it's the playoffs but um, yeah last month was a pretty tight first half and no one really put a big tackle in and then the second half it just went off uh, there was the shove and the yellow card and and the penalty that Adebayo missed, of course, as well. So it wasn't that cut and dry last month for Huddersfield, to be fair. I think it's going to be a great game for the neutral. I've got to say, every playoff is delivered. Not one nil-nil yet. And that's why some people, including me, call it the best part of the season. Two great managers, aren't they, Clarkie? But I kind of feel like Nathan Jones and Luton go hand in hand now. He had his dalliance with Stoke, didn't really work out. But but Corberan is going to be a wanted man, isn't he? It, maybe not this summer, but given the season that he's had, he's going to be attracting admiring glances. He's clever, isn't he? He's got that. He's got that quick footballing brain. You can see it whirring. Um, he's always looking to sort of just do these little tinkers, and uh, and yeah, I think that. The other teams will have spotted that clearly. It, it, it's a phenomenal season. We all thought Huddersfield were going to be bottom half. Um, it's what, what he's achieved with that group of players is incredible, and and also the recruitment, which has been highly praised for you know for a number of weeks now. But yeah, that th- they were players that you would look at and think, well, yeah, wh- where do they fit in? But he had a vision, and he knows exactly wh- how he wants his team to play. So, yeah, it's going to be, um, yeah, I think it'll be quite cagey. I really do, because they're locked together at one apiece. That first goal is going to be really important. So, Huddersfield are fast starters, aren't they? So, so Luton have got to be ready in that first 15 or 20 minutes just to quieten that crowd. If they can get through that, then maybe they can, yeah, they can work their way towards nicking a one-niller sometime in the second half. I think they've, you know, in Cornick, they've got a guy that can that can break quickly. He's got pace. I thought Cameron Jerome played pretty well in the game. He unsettled their defenders at times. So I don't think there's a, that much of a need to rush back Adebayo if he's, if he's not quite right. I think those two can do some damage. Uh, I thought Sonny Bradley was really good. Really impressed with him. Not just his defending, but some of his longer passes. Excellent. So, um, yeah, I, I make Huddersfield oh, marginal favourites, but there's really not much to choose. All right, well, that's what Clarkie thinks. What about Paddy Power? Let's bring in producer Abby. She can tell us who they've got as marginal or maybe massive favourites. There are no marginal favourites. They are very much weighted towards mm-hmm. the home sides for the second leg. So Huddersfield are six to five uh, to beat Luton. They themselves are 13 to five. Forest 23 to 20 to beat Sheffield United, who are 12 to five. And if we go to the outrights, Matt, Forest are odds on to be promoted. And we don't doubt Paddy mm-hmm. Power because they said that UK would be for second in Eurovision. So they know what they're talking about. 
Uh, yeah, I'm not even going to pass comment, comment on that, lest I jinx it. I will just swiftly say after this break, we'll discuss what happened in the League 2 playoff semi-final first legs. So, Mr Guardiola, what's troubling you? I'm very tired, Doctor. Tired, right. No, I'm very tired of winning. It's just too easy at the moment, you know? I need a challenge. Like finally winning the Champions League with Man City? Hey, <laughs> hey, hey, come on. Will Pep finally do it? At Paddy Power, we can't guarantee you a trophy, but we can guarantee you money back as a free bet if one leg of your 4 plus 4 bet builder lets you down. Paddy Power! Pre-match online bet builder bets only. Minards 1 to 5 per leg. Max free bet £10 per day. 7-day free bet expiry. Excludes enhanced match odds. Eligibility restrictions and T's and C's apply. 18 plus. Be gambleaware.org. You're listening to the Totally Football League Show. Part of the Athletic Podcast Network. On Saturday night, Mansfield were looking to riff on Northampton's pain following the Cobblers' final day fiasco. The Stags did get the first leg win, but it was a narrow one. Two won the final score at the venue formerly known as Field Mill. Clarky, sort of similarities here perhaps with um, with Forest in that Mansfield will be disappointed that they're not taking a bigger advantage into the second games. First half particularly, they were, they were excellent. Yeah it, was, yeah, it was all about how many they could get in the first half when Northampton were maybe at their most fragile. And they got to, which is pretty good work. And Oates was really dangerous, wasn't he, in the game? Um, so, but they, yeah, then you have to credit Northampton for finding a way to get back into it, really, because they could have folded, but they didn't. And they, they stuck at it. And then they started to, to build up ahead of steam, didn't they? And I think in the final half an hour, they were comfortably the, the stronger team, Northampton. Um, they made it their type of match, used their strength. And they've got... They've got good players, probably more good players than we give them credit for. You always think of them being a set piece team, being massive and you know strong. But but guys like uh, Apere up front, Hoskins, Pinnock, when you, they turn defence to attack on a counter, they're pre- they're pretty lively. Those guys, and I, and I think that the, that they did pretty well on the night. And and for that second leg, I think Mansfield will respect Northampton's ability to to give them. To give them problems, you know, you've got McWilliams, who's a good ball winner in the middle of the park. He can set those three guys away, and and I think they can. I think they can certainly score goals in the second leg, Northampton. It's just can they keep Oates and Co out at the other end? Because yeah, he's very very impressive. And Michelle, obviously, you were covering this game, it being a playoff game uh, on Sky Sports. Were you more <laughs> impressed with with Mansfield's attacking prowess in the first half, or, or Northampton's resilience, not just in this game, but obviously coming back from the horror that was their final day of the season? Yeah, cliche game of two two halves for sure. Mansfield by far the better in the first half. Or Reese Oates was was brilliant, sort of won his man of the match award in the first half. But I thought Jordan Barry should be man of the match because he got an assist and a goal. And they were just completely on top. And then John Brady must have said something decent at half time because mm-hmm. Northampton were way different in the second half. I mean, taking it to six fields as it is, it's weird when these teams, and it's happened now in a few of the playoffs, scoring the late goal or the late, well, scoring when it's 2-0 and then getting one back, it feels like the momentum just shifts. And even the side that's won 2-1, you think you'd be bouncing with a 2-0 win, taking that back to six fields. But for Northampton, I think it was so key they got that fortunate deflected goal from Ali Koke because... If they hadn't and they'd lost 2-0 and they'd carry on performing like they had in the first half, after what happened on the final day of the season, that would be a pretty tough ask, I think, in the second leg. Because normally it's an advantage being at home in the second leg, as we just said earlier on. But I think if you went back to Sixfords with all of that 
on your shoulders. It'll be really hard to to shake off, but it's a really tight one to call now. You know, for Northampton, probably just glad to have played after what happened on the final day. But actually, they're still in great form. Everyone feels like on the final day, it's like they lost, but they didn't. And they're on a great winning run uh, before that. So the team they'd lost to before that winning run was Mansfield. And now the team they've lost to again is Mansfield. So it's all set up beautifully in the second leg. Very close scoreline, as as all the playoffs are. Uh, Clarky, who is the best halftime team talker you ever played for? Was, it, was there one particular gaffer who always seemed to get it right? <laughs> uh, I don't know. I don't... I can't, I'm struggling. The one that immediately comes to my head is, is actually the late, great Geordie uh, Armstrong, who was um, my reserves manager at Arsenal. He would he would fit into half-time 50 to 100 swear words. It was incredible. <laughs> and, and, I wasn't expecting uh, you to say that. <laughs> and, no, exactly. And and we were, because we, we, we were so immature. We were only kids, really. We were counting them up. And it was like, yeah, we it was like, what do you reckon today, blah blah. And it, he could, I was, I'm sure he could see us sniggering at times. Now, the, I think the best motivator I had was Paul Fairclough at Stevenage. He was tremendous, and um, really got into players' heads. And he could, he could definitely have that ability to change a, a team's mindset at half time. Um, so yeah, they're, they're the two that that stand out really. But it, it's such an important time. And what what I find interesting now is that that managers give the players about five minutes normally on their own just to like gather their thought their thoughts and the manager the coaches they often just have a little bit of a chat about what they're going to say what the message what the key messages are that the players settle down and then bang it's like three minutes get those messages across and that's all it is really these days i don't think there's too much screaming and shouting that goes on Um, but i've heard from a number of current coaches this is sort of how they go about their go about their work at the interval. It's just pick two or three messages and really drill it down, but don't overload the players with too much. Two more big halftime team talks coming up for Messrs Brady and Clough on Wednesday night when the second leg of that tie is played. Uh, two ones very much in vogue in this season's playoffs. That was also the score at the county ground where Michelle watched on as Swindon earned a narrow first leg lead against Port Vale. Uh, Harry McCurdy on Instagram, wallop with about eight Ps, exclamation mark, half a job done, lovely little brace, C the letter, U the letter, all Thursday, and then five emojis where it's like a face with the tongue hanging out and the eyes going a bit wonky. Um, <laughs> means something to somebody presumably only played eight games at Port Vale last season, Michelle, and didn't mm-hmm. score. It, it did feel like a, a little bit personal, you know, his, his post-match interview where, you know, he was asked, mm-hmm. how are they getting the best out of you? Well, playing me was, was his answer, <laughs> which um, shots fired. Yeah. He's not backwards and coming forwards sometimes, is he? You can tell the way, I mean, we talked about him quite a lot pre-game and we were anticipating him carrying on his good form sort of into these playoffs. And he is a special player. It's how do you get the best out of him? And, yeah, by playing me, that's a great answer, isn't it? It's a bit tongue-in-cheek. And he said he doesn't really consider Port Vale an, an ex-club because he didn't play there, which was a bit cheeky as well. But, yeah, it felt like he had a bit of a point to prove today, the way he played. Um, he kept running. When they were at 2-0, he won the ball back, like, as um, Port Vale were trying to play out from the back. He got the ball and it could have been 3-0. So he was keeping going, keeping going. So he seemed almost possessed at times. But then sometimes he just plays with such a hunger anyway. I don't think it's unique to this game. Uh, first goal, great movement, lost his marker, glancing header. You know, he's not the biggest player, 
but his marker wasn't goal side. And in it went. Great delivery by Johnny Williams. And the second, he started the move. Jack Payne's shot was well saved, actually. But oh, the technique, Adrian will know a lot better than me, but the technique to get it down on the volley like that, right, it happened right in front of us. I thought, yeah, he is a special player. And Ben Garner's getting the best out of him. And Ben Garner's done a, a great job at Swindon this season. Lovely to see Daryl Clark back as well on the touchline. And once again, getting that goal back from James Wilson, 2-1 now, just like we said in the other games, just completely changes the complexion of the tie because Swindon 2-0, they're bouncing going into Thursday. And now there's a lot more to think about. It's crazy how it's happened in, in all but one game we've spoken about, Adrian, isn't it? One team 2-0 up and then somebody pinches a goal back and it reframes the tie entirely. Yeah, it, well, it's only half time, isn't it? And that, that's what these managers will be talking about, 180 minutes matches. And yeah, it's just, they're all good teams. There's not much to choose between any of them, really. You only have to look at the points tallies in League Two, especially. It was so, so close. On that McCurdy volley, yeah, it's the sort of volley you don't even think about. When you're on fire... You, you just do it instinctively, but when, when you're not, when you're not informed, you probably don't even take that on. You don't, you don't even, you don't even attempt it. It was, it was so crisp, so beautifully struck. Um, I, I do love his hunger. It's, it must be quite infectious to those around him. I think, I think some people just love being the main man, don't they? And and at other clubs, maybe he's just not been a, he's not had that love from a manager. He's not felt like he was ever going to be their main man. And and maybe then he's trying too hard, or just doesn't feel at home, or he, he finds re. He's because he's such an unusual character. I think he probably is the sort that might find reasons to have a moan, and like moan and groan about this or that. But but where he is at Swindon, there's nothing to moan about. He's he's the main man. The, the gaffer loves him. The fans love him, and I think it's just it's just a, a momentum thing really with him. Um, fantastic individual performance again from him. But Port Vale. Or maybe yeah, maybe they they'll look back and think did did we pick the right team? Because I think they, they 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 their changes in the second half certainly seem to help them. Um, I think Jamie yeah. Proctor wasn't one hundred percent fit to be fair, oh, okay. Sarah Clark. From what he said in the build up, he said um, he wasn't quite there. Whether he starts him on on Thursday or not, I, I don't know. But sometimes they were just trying to with Ben Garrity just trying to press forward a bit too much, maybe. But. They were in the first half. They were trying to be effective in breaking the game up. Committed so many fouls. They saw Matt Taylor said to me they do it quite well in terms of disrupting the flow of teams. And I guess Daryl Clark's message would be more of that and be do it more effectively with a bit more quality. They lack quality today. Portfolio going forward. I thought. Mm, yeah. No. The, but yeah, if you come up against a team like Swindon, rough them up will be the message. Mm. I think from from most teams that come up against them, you know, yeah, knock them out of their stride because when they do get in their stride, they are they don't look a League Two side, do they? They look like a side that's more than capable of playing a level up if you give them the time and space to to go and do their thing. And I, I loved the goal, the build up to the goal that we were talking about earlier with Jack Payne playing it in, into McCurdy and then making that run around the outside and he slipped back in. It's just, it's really fluid, entertaining football to watch. Yeah, I'm, I'm a f- big fan of, of what they've done this season. That that roughing up that Clarkey talks about, Michelle, is that why Ben Garner was having a, a whinge about the refereeing at the end of the, the game? I don't think the officiating helped in any way today. I thought he should have clamped down. If you set the tone, it allows the game to flow. And I don't think that happened. Is, is that just managerial sour grapes or has he got a point? 
I think he had a point because Harry Charlesley had, had a few challenges and you're thinking, how has he not got a yellow yet? And he, he finally got his yellow and in the second half, Daryl Clark took him off because he was worried about it. Uh, yeah, the first yellow, I think, went to Josh Davison. And at that point, Port Vale had committed sort of seven or eight fouls. So maybe he had a point. Maybe some they weren't all yellows, of course, but it did feel like he let a lot go in that first half, which was probably to Port Vale's advantage because that's how they were playing. There was only one Port Vale yellow card for, for Charlesley. That was it. I think it's one of those. Yeah, if if it had um, uh, clamped down on it early doors, it could have been a situation where he then had to dish out five or six. So, mm. yeah, he, he took the passive route, the ref. And I can see if I was the Swindon manager, I wouldn't have been happy either. Uh, finally, Michelle, what, what was it like being in the presence of Swindon Town royalty uh, in his own kingdom? <laughs> it literally felt like it was Sam Park in FC. <laughs> they love him don't they we couldn't walk anywhere without being stopped for photos or being chanted at in pitch side they were yelling his name for a good half hour in the build up yeah he's hero worship there that's for sure so if the whole punditry thing doesn't work out for him I think he'll have a job somewhere doing anything at Swindon by the sounds of it but yeah it was, no, it was nice to see him and, and he has such a good inside knowledge at, at Swindon to be fair so obviously a great choice of pundit and it was great to see Matt Taylor as well who just seemed to be utterly relieved that they weren't in the playoffs of course and he'd uh, just come back from I'm sure he won't mind me saying uh, his little staff weekender so he was on fine form considering he'd been away for the weekend and all things considered yeah he was he was in fine form and actually to be fair sounds like he's been busy sorting out their release list and things like that it doesn't it doesn't stop for managers does it it's um it's not a position I envy that's for sure yeah, you can have a weekender, but that's about it. Um, well done to everybody on that. And to Sam, you know, we often talk about touchline clobber. I thought he was on point with his, with his pockets square and his, his smart suit. So, um, yeah, well done, Sam. Looking forward to speaking to you on Thursday. Um, Abby, who's going to win these League Two playoffs then, please? The home sides, according to Paddy's Power. So uh, Wednesday night, it's Northampton, Mansfield. Northampton, they're 13-10. to 10. The away side, Mansfield, 21-10, to 10, draw 20. 2 to 1 Port Vale 23 to 20 to beat Swindon who are 23 to 10. However, the home sides are favorites but they are very much like ranked down in the uh, promotion odds for League 2 Mansfield the favorites to get into uh, tier 3. They are 13 to 8, Swindon 7 to 4, Port Vale 4 to 1 and Northampton 9 to 2. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. It's over 18s only. T's and C's apply. Odds are accurate at the time of recording and when the fun stops. Stop. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX, stream on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. 
You're listening to the Totally Football League Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. If you want to read more Football League content from the likes of Nancy Frostick, Paul Taylor, Phil Buckingham, Peter Rutzler, and more of the Athletic's best writers, you can do so by heading to theathletic.com forward slash league show and get yourself a subscription of just £1 a month for the next six months. That's theathletic.com forward slash league show. Uh, right, Stockport County are going to be a part of this pod next season. They were promoted back to League Two after an 11-year absence as they wrapped up the National League title on the final day of the season on Sunday. It's been a while since we've seen them, Clarky, but there are plenty of familiar faces there. Dave Challoner obviously started this season in the EFL, the manager with Hartlepool, the likes of Madden, Sarsovic, etc. They've got a fair bit of money behind them. You'd expect them to be competitive. Very, yeah. I think they're going to be among... The favourites, actually, to 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 be towards the top end of the division, it's a great achievement for the manager, isn't it? it really is to because he was under pressure. He he walked away from the job, with, so he took took Hartlepool up and then sort of walked away from taking them to the next level in the EFL to take this job. He set himself up there for potentially for a fall, but it's it's all worked brilliantly. And yeah, he's had a great budget, it has to be said, and and Paddy Madden. <laughs> Was banging them in in League One, wasn't he? Not that long ago. So, so he he's got some quality players there, and probably should have got them up. But but to beat Wrexham, who are equally wealthy, I think I think is um, is a kudos to him. So, um, so yeah, well done, Stockport. Look forward to to covering them. I played against Stockport when they're in the Championship. So you know they, they, they've had quite a fall over over recent times. And they got a blueprint, Michelle, haven't they, in Sutton this season? We saw how close they came to, to making the playoffs with a, a far inferior budget to what Stockport have got. And actually, over the last few years, we've seen that gap between National League and uh, the top end of the National League, at least, and League Two is, is pretty small. And that's the thing. There's more and more teams going full-time, not just in the National League, but even in the leagues below that. It's, it's incredible what teams are doing now. And there's teams, obviously, in the National League with bigger budgets than those who are in League Two. You've seen it with Salford. It doesn't always work out. You don't always go straight through. It's not that cut and dry. But yeah, credit to what Sutton have done this this year. Completely different scenarios. Just shows it isn't always all about the money. But wow, it helps, doesn't it? Yeah, and and the crowds, Matt. They've been selling out. They've been getting you know five figure attendances. It's brilliant. It's wonderful to see. I just hope that they can carry on that 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 momentum at the club and, and get those people through the gate week in week out in League Two. Um, I'm, I'm sure if they're winning games. They'll, they'll keep turning up. Yeah, good luck to them for next season. We'll be talking more about the com- the new campaign. Uh, right, before we go, this weekend, I couldn't watch the Sheffield United Forest game in the conventional manner because I was at a wedding. So I managed to stream it on my phone during the reception, um, which was met with a frosty reception by some. Uh, but still, I got to see the majority of the match. It leads me to ask, what's the weirdest place you've ever watched a football match? Um, Michelle, you are usually pretty good at these end bits, so I'm, I'm expecting something <sighs> good here. I feel pressure now, I feel pressure. Well, <laughs> it's the same as you. It's a wedding. My husband's friend got married, Champions League night, Liverpool, Real Madrid. Don't support either of them, but it was a big night. And it was literally in the middle of nowhere in Devon. And I was walking around, the reception was in a pub, and I was... Honestly, they had like beams and I was just placing the phone as far up the beam as I could to try and find it. So Adam and I, we actually didn't know anyone else at the wedding because his the other friends couldn't come and things. And I would say about 60 minutes, the groom came and sat with us and watched the final 30 minutes. So I don't know if his new wife was too happy about that. But at our wedding, it wasn't a football match, but it was the Rugby World Cup 2015 and everyone had disappeared. 
And we were stupid enough. We were stupid enough to put on Wales for England, weren't we? Because I'm half Welsh. There was loads of Welsh people there. There was loads of English people there. So it was just me on the dance floor for an hour. But you know what? I had a great time. It was a Clarky. I, I rattled my wife's aunt by uh, answering her question about something fairly trivial with, oh, for f***'s sake, when, uh, when Sander Berger scored in the 91st minute. Have you ever done something similar or, or watched a game in an even more inappropriate place uh, no, than a wedding? Not really. On the wedding thing, just very quickly, the um, I was at a wedding the night Man United played in the Champions League final against Barcelona. At no Wembley. way. And oh. um, yeah, but there, so it was, it was in the Cotswolds. So like it was miles away from London. And uh, yeah, this, this lad who, who was pretty good friends with the with the groom was at the whole. He was at the wedding. He was he sat down. Uh, for, you know when we all did. You know started to do the thing. Um, get ready for the meal. And then midway through the meal, there were suddenly two empty seats. And it was like, where's he gone then? Where's he gone? And he just didn't come back. <laughs> Later that night, the texts were coming through. He's at Wembley um, taking <gasps> photos. From, He's at from Wembley? He, just, he, bailed, he bailed out of the wedding. Um, he took, he took <laughs> the meal and then, and, then, and, then, uh, and then did a runner, which was quite outrageous. I don't think they spoke for quite some time, but um, <laughs> he is a big old Man United fan. So, yeah, it doesn't come oh, right. Look, he had tickets. That's fair enough. Well, yeah, exactly, well, actually, the wedding exactly. surely was booked first, but... You know, <laughs> um, I, I haven't really watched the ga- watched the game anywhere weird. Rece- when I went on holiday to the Maldives, which I'm still still you know can't quite believe someone's doing there. well. Um, I couldn't <laughs> I couldn't um, I couldn't sleep one night, and I, I started to put my um, I started to listen to to a game on um, on uh, it was Talksport in my headphones. So everyone else was sleeping. It was the middle of the night and I just had Chelsea V Leeds on and it was dance on commentary. And I texted him and said, Oh, it's quite, yeah. Listening from, from, you know, uh, the Maldives sounding great, mate, blah, blah, blah. And he, na- he name checked me on there within, within <laughs> seconds, which is quite, quite pleasant. I couldn't really sort of, you know, say anything about what was going on because they were all snoozing, but it was, yeah, it was a nice little moment. Lovely stuff. Uh, listen, at wherever you're going to be watching the second legs of the playoff ties, I hope you enjoy them. Uh, unless you're a Sheffield United fan, I have to be brutally honest. Uh, we will round up everything that happens uh, between now and Thursday when we return for our second show of the week. Do join us for that if you can. Until then, many thanks to Michelle, to Adrian, to Abby and to you. We'll speak to you again later in the week. It's bye for now. You've been listening to the Totally Football League Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Listen ad-free on the Athletic app, and keep up to date with everything Totally by heading to at the Totally Show on Twitter and on Insta. Find out the latest subscription offers by going to theathletic.com forward slash league show. The Totally Football League Show is an athletic media company production. The Athletic. <laughs>